The meme highlighting the gender inequality between the men's and women's basketball weight rooms at the NCAA tournament flooded social media in March. Despite feeling pressure to stay quiet, our guest speaks out about the inequality at the NCAA tournament, including the weight room, food, swag bag, and more. Listen to learn about how this foreign exchange student fits in on UNC's women's basketball team and has dealt with the gender inequality in sport. Hi, welcome to this episode of Benched. This is your host, Jules Makia, with our wonderful guest from women's basketball, Petra Holinchinska. Hey, Petra, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Petra's on the women's basketball team here, and today we're just going to talk about a couple things, including her career. She transferred here in her last year of eligibility, and they just finished up with the tournament. So there's just a lot of topics to discuss today. But the first thing off the bat, I wanted to ask what it's been like being a foreign exchange student, what it's been like coming to America to play basketball, um, and how your experience has been overall. It's definitely been very challenging, but also fun. Obviously, you know, getting the experience of coming to a different country and getting education has been great. But at the same time, you know, you don't get to see your family a lot. You have to speak in a different language. So that was definitely really hard for me. But, you know, I'm just thankful for the experience. Yeah, so you started out at, what was the school you went to at first? Uh, The University of Illinois. Okay, and where are you from? I'm originally from the Czech Republic. Yeah, so I can't imagine, so it's already hard enough having to speak another language, let alone take classes and then turn in assignments in another language. What was that like adjusting to the schoolwork being in another language when you first came here? It was definitely really hard. You know, I came to America and I thought I knew English pretty well. But then I was like, oh, my God, like, I guess I don't know it that well. And everybody just was speaking so fast. And it was really hard for me to understand. And I remember my first semester, I took econ and I just had to drop it right away because I was like, I can't do it. But honestly, it just kind of, you know, I picked it up pretty quickly. I would say probably two, three months. And then I understood pretty much everything. So pretty fast. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And like to be able to speak fluently in multiple languages is pretty wild. And I'm I'm sure like you had to pick it up pretty quickly. Like I could not imagine going to a foreign country and having to not only speak a different language, but then like take classes. I think that is just very impressive. What was it like having basketball? Was basketball kind of like your escape or like your family, like having a second family here in the States while you were so far away from home? Oh, it was definitely an escape. I feel like you know, from day one, I just had that support system and my teammates and my coaches. And I feel like it definitely made the transition so much easier. Just, you know, always having somebody who can help me whenever I was struggling or just needed some help, you know, in school or just, I don't know, random stuff, going to the grocery store, anything. So I feel like having that support system definitely helped a lot. What was your experience at Illinois like for the couple of years you were there before you transferred to Carolina? It was great. I loved Illinois. You know, I I love going back there and I'm still in contact with a lot of my friends. But, you know, I was there for four years and I felt like it was just kind of time for me to to try something new and experience something different. And obviously I wanted to play on a different level and that's why I decided to transfer. Yeah. So you said you were at Illinois for four years. I think it would be good to kind of talk about how you got your fifth year back and your knee injury. Was it your junior year, you said? Yeah, it was my junior year. It was like probably like a week before our season started. Uh, I just tried to do a crossover in practice and, and tore my ACL and ended up missing the whole season. 
So that was definitely really hard, just, you know, that happening right before the season started. And I was mentally pretty much just, like, focused on games. And then all of a sudden, I had to just focus on rehab and, like, working out pretty much by myself and just getting back on the court. It was really, really hard. Yeah, what would you say, like, was your hardest part about that? Was it the mental or was it the physical aspect of the injury? Um, definitely mental. After I tore it, I had to wait a month for my surgery. So that was definitely the hardest part. Just, you know, sitting there and like knowing that I'm pretty much not doing anything for a month. And then after that, just, you know, watching my teammates play basketball while I was in the training room, just doing all these exercises. That was hard. But I also had uh, one of my teammates who was doing the same same rehab at the same time. So it that helped a lot, just us going through that together. I feel like that was definitely really helpful. I know injuries, obviously, as much as they do suck, I feel like sometimes we learn a lot about ourselves. Was there anything you kind of learned about yourself or like you learned through the injury? I think I definitely learned that I can just overcome a lot of things and just do anything that I set my mind to. Uh, I feel like the injury definitely made me a better player. I got a lot tougher, but even just in general, I you know, really worked on my skills and just my shot because that was pretty much the only thing I could do. So I feel like it definitely made me a better player. Yeah. Okay. So what made you want to come to UNC for that last year of eligibility and, you know, start your grad degree? Yeah. Like I said, you know, I wanted to play on a different level and, you know, experience the NCAA tournament because we didn't get to do that at Illinois. And so I was just looking at schools, you know, that contacted me and you know, I feel like Carolina is just a world-known brand. I, you know, my friends from home, they know what Carolina is. So I feel like that was just something that just was so attractive to me that I had to do it. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure you've heard, you know, Coach Banghart was on the was on the podcast last season. But what was it like being a part of Coach Banghart's new team? You know, she just came to Carolina and you're a part of this new, exciting team. What was that chemistry like when you first got here? Yeah, I feel like we were just kind of all learning, the coaches and us. Obviously, there was only, I think, three players that were on the team last year. So I feel like everybody was just learning how to, you know, talk to each other and the all the new rules and the culture. So I feel like it was obviously really hard. But at the same time, I feel like we definitely did, did a really good job, especially for her second season being here. What is it like being a part of, you know, the rebuilding phase of Carolina basketball? I think there's a lot of pressure on you, you know, when you're a part of the rebuild, anything you do just kind of sets the standard for whoever comes after you. So I feel like, you know, you definitely just have to do whatever is best for the team and for the program moving forward. So I feel like there's definitely a lot of pressure. You just have to, you know, always do your best. Yeah, I was wondering too, you know, what is it like being a grad transfer? Like you're one of the more you're one of the more experienced and older players on the team, but you're also new to the program. How did you take on like a role of leadership or, you know, how did you find your way, you know, leading on the team? I definitely had to adjust a lot quicker. I feel like I just came in and didn't even think of myself as like a rookie. I just, you know, we had three seniors this year and then the rest of the team was pretty much freshmen and sophomores. So I feel like I just had to come in and know that I have to be the leader because you can't ask the freshmen to be leaders. And, you know, even when I was getting recruited, Coach Banghart just told me that there's going to be, you know, I'm going to have a lot of responsibilities and I just have to be very vocal and stuff like that. So I just knew that you know, I'm not going to have a lot of time to adjust. When you were getting recruited by Coach Banghart, obviously, you know, I really enjoyed my conversation with her and she seems like 
such a cool and like uplifting coach. Was she um, a big part of the reason why you wanted to come to Carolina? Yeah, definitely. So I couldn't visit because of COVID. So that was really hard. So it was pretty much just me talking to her and the coaching staff on Zoom and FaceTime all the time. So I feel like building that relationship with her was was really, really important for me and just, you know, getting to know her. And I just felt like, you know, she was the right person for me and for my last year. So I definitely really enjoyed getting to know her. And, you know, I, I hope that she can just bring Carolina back. Well, it's interesting too. I didn't know that you weren't able to visit because of COVID. So what was it like when you first got to campus? Like what was your impression of Carolina and like the campus when you got here? So we actually played at Carolina the year before I transferred. So I knew a little bit, but obviously it's a lot different when you come on a visit and you get to see everything and meet everybody. But, you know, I drove here from Illinois and nobody was at, uh, on campus yet. So I just kind of, you know, got to experience it by myself. But it's it's really nice. And I feel like the Carolina Blue just makes everything uh, a lot nicer. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> I'll never forget, like, my sister went here. And so when I came to Carolina, like, I instantly was in love with it. And um, especially the time of the year, like the spring or the summer, just so beautiful. Um, and I'm sure it's a nice change of pace from the cold Illinois uh, weather. So definitely. <laughs> the next thing I wanted to chat about, I feel like you have a really unique perspective when, when it comes to women's basketball in the United States. You've played for two different teams. You know, you've been to the tournament and you've dealt with the inequality on a national scale. But I wanted to ask about like, what are your feelings overall regarding inequality and men and women's basketball? Like, what have you experienced? What have you seen? And how do you think things can change? I mean, it's obviously really hard to see that there's such a big inequality between, you know, men's and women's basketball. You know, you can look honestly at every aspect and I feel like it's it's going to be different between those two, you know, fans and, and all that. I feel like that was the one thing that I noticed first, even when I was at Illinois, like we would barely have any fans. And then the men's team, they would have 15, 16,000 fans at, um, at all of their games. So I feel like, you know, it's definitely really hard, but, you know, it's just something that has always been here. And honestly, I feel like it's it's going to be really hard to change that. Okay. As a female athlete and somebody who's been around basketball for a while, are there things you think are on the rise or things you think are changing or like su- like suggestions you would have to help support the women's side of the game? I feel like there's a lot more people speaking up about it right now, especially when we're at the NCAA tournament. Like a lot of players just you know, use their social media and stuff like that just to talk about the inequalities. And I feel like we've also received a lot of support from um, male professional athletes. And I feel like that's one thing that has helped a lot, just, you know, spread awareness and stuff like that. Yeah, I want to ask about your experience in the bubble while you were at the tournament. What was your reaction when you either started to see these personally or saw them on social media, the differences between the women's and the men's side? How did you feel? I would say I was a little angry, honestly, just seeing how big of a difference that was. Honestly, I I didn't even expect to have the same, you know, facilities and equipment as the men. But, you know, they left a couple of days early and some of my friends were at the men's tournament. So, you know, we talked about what they have and stuff like that. And then we came to San Antonio and, you know, our weight room was pretty much like a couple of dumbbells and a couple of yoga mats. And I feel like that was just very disrespectful. So, you know, like the the female athletes, especially, you know, because we put the, the same amount of uh, the same amount of work and and then we don't really get recognized. So I feel like that was really hard to see. And just, 
you know, getting disrespected like that, it, it was really, really hard. Yeah, that's something I always say. I always say, like, women athletes work just as hard, if not harder, than our male counterparts. And we don't get recognized for it. And we're still out there grinding every single day. And I still can't believe that you guys literally walked into this weight room and it was like a couple of dumbbells and yoga mats. And you're like, well, what, what do we do with this? You know, we're used to an Olympic weight room. Like, how do you train with, you know, a couple of dumbbells that go up to 30 pounds? Was your coaching staff upset? Like, were the players angry? Like, what were the actions that you guys like wanted to take before things kind of took off on social media? I would say it was mostly the players that were angry. Obviously, our coaches didn't agree with that as well, but I feel like it affected mostly us just seeing that we were getting disrespected and also obviously our strength coach who was there with us. So, yeah, I feel like it was just the reaction was not good, especially just, you know, seeing that there was enough space to do that, but they just chose not to. And honestly, so that apparently that wasn't even a weight room. It was just for us to warm up, so... Technically, we didn't even have a weight room. Wow. So that was one thing that that was just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you too. I know I saw a couple other things on social media. Um, I know I saw food and that's something like our team, my team at Carolina has, has dealt with, especially when we travel. But I wanted to know too, were you angry about that as well? Because I know, you know, the weight room's a very obvious one. But when I think about it too, I'm like, honestly, nutrition is just as big. You know, if you're not getting good, healthy food and carbs and all the things you need, like how do you perform at your best? What were your thoughts on on the food and like before things change? I know I saw, you know, photos of it at first and I was like, yikes. Yeah, so when we first came to Texas, we had to quarantine for two days. So the only food we could get was the food provided by the NCAA and the hotel. So that pretty much I didn't eat anything, honestly. And like you said, it, nutrition is really important and you just – don't eat for two days and you know I feel like that definitely you know affects you and your performance so I feel like definitely nutrition is one of the most yeah that's one of the most important things and they pretty much gave us this food that was very hard to eat so so it was literally so bad that you didn't eat it I would eat like a little bit like I tried to but it was it was really hard for me (laughs) well the other thing too that's tough is you couldn't go out because you were in quarantine so it's not like you could even go try to find something else you were literally stuck yeah but then uh, after the quarantine was over, um, our coaches were actually able to order us food. So we just got food catered from different restaurants. So they definitely did a great job of, you know, feeding us and just bringing something that we could actually eat. Did your coaches have to order food because the tournament wasn't providing food like they were for the men? Or was that the what was just happening in general? So they were still providing the hotel food every day. But like, like I said, it was just like, and it wasn't good. So, you know, they just decided to order stuff for us. Yeah. So basically you're saying Carolina basketball saved you from the terribleness that was the food provided to all the female athletes. But if it weren't, it, if it wasn't for the generosity of Carolina athletics in the program, you guys would have been stuck with this subpar food. Pretty much, yeah. But from what I heard, that's what every team did. My high school teammates play for South Florida, and they said that their team did the same thing. They just started ordering food for them because, like, it just was not good. Yeah, but it's so wild to me. It's like all these teams had to spend all this extra money and do all this stuff, but the men's team didn't have that, right? They were getting good quality food from what I saw on social media, or is that different? 
I'm not sure what they did. I I think it was the different from every team. I think some teams started ordering for the men's teams as well, and some of them were still eating the hotel food. Okay. Were there any other things that like were obvious, like the food or the weight room that you saw and you were just like, come on, or this is really frustrating? I would say there were two more. Uh, one of them was the was the swag bag. So we all got this like bag. Well, I wouldn't say full, but that had some stuff in it. You know, that had like a towel or had a couple things. And then, you know, I saw the men's teams and they got like hoodies, blankets, and just like probably three times as much stuff as we got. So that was one thing. And then the other thing that I noticed was that they didn't even change the courts at some of the gyms, you know, usually for the men's, or I saw it at the men's tournament. They just put down a whole new court at Mackey Arena, Indiana, and like all these schools, but they only did it at the main gym uh, in Texas. And then the rest of the schools, they just, you know, they had their old, old courts, like University of Texas, like everything was orange and it just did not look good, honestly. Yeah, no, that's wild to me. It's it, And it's like such obvious things that you're seeing, but it's like, I honestly also wonder like what went on behind the scenes too, that like maybe we're not even seeing, like the difference of pay to the people working the tournament. Like, I wonder if that's a thing because, you know, we look at the disparity in, you know, the amount coaches get paid and things like that. So I wonder, you know, what went, what else went on that maybe didn't make the news and things like that. But what was your reaction to the overwhelming positive, mostly, <laughs> mostly positive support of the women's side? It was definitely great to see, you know, other people and other athletes supporting us. I feel like that's one thing that definitely has changed in the past couple of years, just, you know, receiving more support from people who might not even be involved. So I feel like that was definitely great. And I feel like that's the first step to making a change and stuff like this. What do you think about like the effort that was, you know, trying to fix it after the fact? How did you feel the NCAA did in response to what happened? So at first, they came out with a statement saying that we didn't get a weight room because there wasn't enough space. But obviously, there was a a lot of space. And somebody actually ended up recording a video of uh, where the practice court was. And there was so much space, you could probably put down like three different weight rooms. So that was one thing that honestly made us even more mad, just them saying that it didn't happen because there wasn't enough space. Like they could have just said like, you know, we apologize, like it's our fault, but they ended up, you know, making an excuse. Um, but after that, they, you know, came up with a whole new weight room in, in less than 48 hours. So obviously it was possible, but they chose not to do it at first. And I feel like they just expect that, expected us not to say anything. Yeah. And along those lines, did you at any point feel pressured to not say something or like socially or like you know, just like the social impact of being like, oh, I don't want to say something. Or was it like you were nervous about saying something? Like, I know there were a lot of athletes that spoke out, but what were your personal feelings about speaking out or calling out the injustices that were going on? I would definitely say that I felt a little pressured. I feel like as a college athlete, you always just have people watching you and just like always saying stuff. So I feel like you're just expected to stay quiet and play your sport, honestly. And I feel like if we do that, then there's not going to be a change. So I feel like overcoming that pressure and just, you know, standing up for what's important is, you know, one thing that we have to do. But I definitely feel like I I was pressured and just 
you know, was expected not to say anything. And I know, like, you you never want to be that team that's, like, complaining and stuff like that. But I feel like in this situation, you just have to. Yeah, I think that's what's really tough. And it's something, you know, I'm really passionate about women's sports. And that's something I speak out about. And, you know, obviously, UNC is a really great place to be, especially regarding women's sports. You know, we have an initiative directed just to women's sports. But even here, just like every other school, there's a lot of inequality. But it's hard to speak up. And it's hard, you know, you don't want to speak out against your school or against the NCAA when you play for them. You know, it's, I think, really challenging to walk that line. On a more positive note, though, I wanted to ask, like, how do you think people, institutions and the NCAA can try to start supporting women's sports? I would say you can start by, you know, giving us the same media coverage. I feel like you know, you can always see men's basketball and football all over, you know, the social media and everything. And I wouldn't say that women's sports get the same support. And, and I would say, especially, you know, the smaller sports, like Carolina has, you know, multiple teams that are ranked number one in the country and they don't get as much recognition as some of the other sports, you know, field hockey, soccer, like those are teams that nobody can even beat, honestly. Like one of my friends, she play, she plays lacrosse and I know she said that they beat the number two team in the country by like 10 goals or something. So I'm like, yeah, just giving female athletes the recognition that they they deserve. Yeah, well, I wanted to kind of end on what are your next steps? Like, do you have professional aspirations or plans with basketball after you graduate in May? Yeah, so I recently just signed with an agent and we're going to start looking for a professional contract overseas. Um, Obviously, I have to finish school. My program actually goes all the way up until August. So I'll be I'll be in Chapel Hill just working out. But, you know, just trying to find the, the right place for me where I can continue my career. Yeah. What is your master's degree? And I forgot to ask. So I'm in the Mighty program. It's called Educational Innovation Technology and Entrepreneurship. It's a one-year program, so I'm finishing that up right now. That's awesome. Have you liked it so far? Yeah, definitely. It's been really challenging. I honestly didn't expect to have as much work to do, but yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. So are you hoping to go like closer to home or are you just kind of open to anything that comes along in Europe? Honestly, so my parents would want me to come home, but I don't want to I don't want to play in the Czech Republic. Hopefully Spain, France or Italy, those are probably the three countries that I would want to play in. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me. It was so awesome to hear about your experience and really everything. So thank you again for being a guest on this episode and thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of Benched. This has been your host, Jules Makia, with our wonderful guest, Petra Holenshinska. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Want to share your story? Whether you prefer to share on a podcast, in a video, on a panel, or in a written blog, we cannot wait to hear from you. Just go to uncutchapelhill.com. That's uncutchapelhill.com. Click Get Involved and then share your story. Amplifying your voice has never been so easy.